Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in the fourth week of our Seek First series, uh, which is the theme of the Father's House here in 2024. And for the last couple of weeks and moving forward, we're going to be studying through uh, these collection of teachings that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, our key text for the year and for this series is found round about the middle of uh, this sermon where Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, and we're going to read this out loud like a Catholic church together, all right? Here we go. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. Great verse, great promise. Get it in your spirit. Memorize it. But uh, the first couple of weeks in this series, we really dug into that scripture, discovered what it meant to seek by biblical standards, and then we began to unpack these two things that Jesus says we're supposed to seek first, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Uh, and then last week, if you recall, we uh, went into the introduction of this Sermon on the Mount, and we looked at these nine juxtaposing statements that Jesus makes, uh, statements like, blessed are those who are mourning, are meek, are insignificant, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit, Blessed are you if you're starving for justice in your world. And those might be a bit of a head scratch, like how could Jesus call somebody blessed in those circumstances? And if you're wondering, you can go back and listen to that sermon and find out how he would call people in those unfortunate circumstances blessed. But uh, if you were here or if you caught up online, you might recall that we only made it to the first seven of those nine statements because the final two land in a slightly different category that we're going to unpack today. Today, we're going to put a bow on the Beatitudes as we wrap up the introduction, uh, because after after Jesus makes these statements about people being blessed in unfortunate life circumstances, he goes on to say this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what is right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because a great reward awaits you in heaven." Really encouraging portion of scripture, you know? I'm sure some of you have that on your fridge or on your mirror that you look at before you walk out the door in the morning. Just put a smile, probably not, all right? Definitely not that scripture, but it's in there, which means we gotta talk about it. As we've said every single week in this series, we do not have the luxury of skipping past the uncomfortable portions of scripture. We need to lean into what Jesus is saying and, and contextualize it to ask ourselves, what would this mean in our world? For a failure to do that would be a failure to become the kingdom people he's called every single one of us to become. So you can tap the person next to you and tell them, buckle up, buttercup. We're going for the throat today, the difficult teachings of Jesus. <laughs> We're gonna lean into what Jesus says here about embracing the persecution of the world. Uh, let me give you a title and then uh, we'll, we'll jump in. Um, in full disclosure, I had a different title at the beginning of the week when I started studying for this sermon. I had intended to title it with the prophetic words of the musical prophet, uh, heartthrob of Travis Kelsey, uh, Taylor Swift. I was gonna call it Haters Gonna Hate. Um, but then as I studied more and prayed, the Lord said, not Taylor something else. So I've got a different title that may not make a lot of sense up front, but I promise it will later on in the sermon as we study. I want to do what we did last week, form this in a question. And I want to ask all of us today, who's got your cloak? Who's got your cloak? Uh, let's pray and uh, ask God to speak to us today, shall we? Lord, we love you. And um, we thank you that 
Anytime we sing or pray things like fill me, come close, draw near, uh, heal my family, th these are prayers that beckon the attention of heaven. You, you said in scripture that if we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. And we thank you that we are not sitting in a room void of the spirit of God today, but we sense your presence in this place. You are among us. And as we go to the word, that the scriptures that say that they can cut right to the heart of where we're living, that can, scriptures that can guide our path and direct our steps, I pray that you would do what you've promised to do in all of our hearts and minds today. May we be transformed by the power of your word and may we leave this place different than when we came. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. You, you got too, too soon, Priscilla. You have to wait until I say in Jesus' name and then, amen. There we go, okay. We'll, we'll get it, it's good. Uh, so if you've been with us during this series, you, you probably have noticed a bit of a pattern right about this point in the sermon. Uh, we have often started by looking at some definitions, defining terms, because we cannot do what Jesus is asking us to do unless we understand what he means by these statements. And rest assured, we will look at a definition in just a moment for this word persecution. But before we do that, I think we need to establish a couple of things up front, lest we inappropriately apply this text to our lives. Uh, first and foremost, we, we need, as we look at these statements about persecution, we need to understand what Jesus says is the appropriate cause and effect for persecution. Uh, he makes it very clear so that we don't mix this one up. He says in verse 11, blessed are you when you are persecuted for doing what is right. In some of your translations in the Bible, it might say for righteousness sake. And then Jesus backs that statement up once again in verse 12, where he says, blessed are you when people lie about you, when they persecute you, when they spread all kinds of rumors about you because of me. So, so he clarifies up front that the kind of persecution that is, is qualified for his blessing is the persecution that comes as a result of doing the right thing or aligning with Jesus. So, so there is no blessing if you are persecuted because you're a jerk. There's no blessing if you are persecuted for doing unchrist-like things. That's called sowing and reaping. It's another biblical concept, but not the one we're discussing today. It is not persecution. And I think it's important to mention this up front. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know. I just feel like I've seen a lot of people on social platforms claiming they're being persecuted when they're not really being persecuted because they're doing things that Jesus would do. They're being persecuted because they're doing dumb human things that they're doing. They, they're not being persecuted because they're acting like Christ. They're being persecuted because they're hateful and judgmental and cantankerous. And they look down at people and they post things about people on social media. And then they, they throw up their hands like, well, I'm just being persecuted for the Lord. Like, eh, no, no, you're not. People don't hate you because of Jesus. People hate you because of you. So, so we just need to clarify that up front. It's already getting a little tight in the room. Okay, just, just need to get that out there, all right? Uh, secondly, and perhaps more importantly, I think we also need to establish up front that when Jesus speaks of persecution in this text, he's speaking about something that by and large, none of us are ever going to experience here in America. This is not the form of persecution that many of us would normally consider when we contextualize it to our world. It's actually far more severe than that. Little history lesson. Um, back in the first century, uh, Christians were some of the most hated people in society. 
Not only were believers in Jesus considered apostates of the Jewish faith and thereby hated and rejected by the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but as Christianity began to rise in popularity after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, they came under intense persecution by the very Roman government that they were under. Um, the Romans hated Christians. In, in Roman culture, the uh, Caesar or the emperor was no mere man. They were considered to be a deity. They were a god in human flesh, and they expected people to worship them as such. And so when these Christians refused to bow down to their government, maybe that's a word for somebody today, and the Christians said, no, I'm only going to worship Jesus and I'm not going to worship the political leader of my day, there was this tension between Rome and the followers of Jesus, and ultimately it was determined that that was a crime punishable by death. And in the first century, a lot of Christians died because they were unwilling to bow down to their government. In fact, as uh, uh, Nero rose in the, in the mid-60s, uh, he began to execute Christians on a very public scale all throughout the Roman Empire. It was not uncommon to, to sit in a Colosseum and watch Christians being fed to lions for sport or burned alive as people watched and cheered. It's even recorded that Emperor Nero would dip live Christians in wax, impale them on poles, and then place them in his garden as candles so that he could walk through and enjoy the sights. So, so, so needless to say, it was a, a pretty challenging time to be a follower of Jesus in the first century. And so when Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted here, he's not talking about the things that most Americans would call persecution. He, he's not talking about, well, they took the Pledge of Allegiance out of your school and they're not teaching creation theory anymore. Can you believe that? Blessed are you, Karen, when your boss at Target tells you that you have to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, for great is your reward in heaven. It's not what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> He's talking about the very real possibility that you will lose your life for following Jesus, that you'll become a martyr for your faith, which is a very foreign concept to the average American Christian. However, though we may not face death for our faith here, it is not a foreign concept everywhere in the world. There are many believers who are persecuted in very barbaric ways all across the world, various parts of Asia and Africa and in the Middle East, people who are executed on a daily basis, not because they did anything wrong, they committed a crime worthy of punishment, but simply because they said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I don't share that information with you today to like glorify the suffering of other people, nor do I share that to diminish the suffering that any of us have to face in this life. I'm not like, you don't even know what it's like to suffer for God, you Americans. That's not what I'm saying. I, I, I'm simply suggesting that we need to keep the appropriate perspective in mind and consider the plight of persecuted Christians throughout history. Otherwise, we might diminish and water down what Jesus is saying here. We need to see this through the appropriate lens. And when we look at it through that lens, there still remains application for us, even in our context, when Jesus speaks about this thing called persecution. So now that we're all on the same page, let's, let's go to this definition. Uh, when Jesus uses this word, it is the Greek word dioko, and it means mistreatment, rejection, harassment, to make to flee, or to put to flight. Uh, Isaac, let's leave that on the screen for, for just a couple of moments. So, so while we've established up front that the likelihood of anyone in this room losing their life for their faith is slim to none, 
I look at that definition and I begin to see what other words are associated with persecution. And I can say with a certain degree of confidence that I actually know people in our church who have experienced some of those realities because they follow Jesus. For example, uh, I recently heard about a woman in our church who uh, was working for somebody who had asked her to do something that violated her conscience and something that was borderline illegal. And rather than continue to collect a paycheck and live in the gray area, she told her employer that she didn't feel comfortable doing something that would violate her convictions. And shortly thereafter, she was fired from her job. She was excused. She experienced mistreatment as a result of her faith. Her employer is going to experience a lawsuit, but you understand, she was mistreated for her faith. (laughs) I think about another guy in our church who uh, grew up in a Muslim family and about a year and a half ago, came to church, discovered Jesus, gave his life to Christ, but waited a really, really long time to get water baptized because he knew that if he told his family he was a follower of Jesus, he was gonna be excommunicated. No longer would he be invited to the family gatherings or the weddings. In fact, in some extreme cases in that culture, people would literally hold a funeral service if someone converted to Christianity because they were considered as good as dead to the family. And he didn't know if he could handle the pain of losing his family to follow Christ. However, after a year or so, The conviction of the Holy Spirit didn't let up. And finally, he made the decision, I care more about what Jesus is asking me to do than I do about the acceptance of my family. And he went into the waters of baptism a couple of months ago. He experienced rejection. He was persecuted. Still others, I have this conversation on a pretty regular basis at our church who grew up in Catholic families, devout Catholic families. And uh, now they come to a, a Christian church and their family members are not very happy about it. And they tell them how unhappy they are about it often. They suggest that they've violated the the traditions of the family, of the Catholic faith. And week after week, day after day, many of them are harassed for their decisions. Now, are these people going to die? No. I I don't think they're going to lose their life for their faith. But they have experienced some persecution as a result of their decision to follow Christ as a result of their decision to do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, where he made it clear, if anybody loves father, mother, brother, sister more than me, then you are not worthy of being my follower. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. But if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my father in heaven. If you're gonna follow me, it's not gonna be all kitty cats and rainbows. It's gonna be some suffering. You gotta take up your cross every single day and follow me. But those who are willing to lose their life for my sake will truly find what this is all about. And their willingness to stand on that truth brought some persecution. But that's them. And I'm gonna be honest. The more I tried to contextualize this definition, the harder and harder it became because honestly, most of us aren't even gonna have to experience that much suffering for our faith. So rejection, harassment, mistreatment, I mean, that's definitely not the norm for a believer in America. And so the longer I thought about it, the more I felt myself being drawn to these final two phrases, to make, to flee, to put, to flight. The suggestion that persecution can be defined as a pressure that forces you to run from some things for the sake of your faith to be put to flight so that you can follow Jesus. 
And as I thought about that more and more, I hope this is okay. I rewrote a beatitude. Sorry, Jesus. But I, I, I wrote it in, in this form. Blessed are you when you are forced to flee because of your faith. That, that feels a bit more, okay, that makes, a, that makes sense to me. That resonates with me a little bit more because I know and you know that we don't live in a world where we're gonna have to die for our faith, but we all know what it's like to have to run from some things for our faith, to flee in haste so that we can pursue the one that has called us to follow him. That tracks for me. And so any, as I considered this beatitude and, and just continued to kind of think on it, pray on it, I could not help but be drawn to a very familiar portion of scripture that I just so happened to be reading this last week in my Bible reading plan. I know many of you are uh, following along in some of the TFH reading plans. We've got them on our app and our website. And I got a group of guys that is reading through the Bible together this year. And we decided to do the Alpha Nikki Gumbel Bible in a year, read through the whole thing. And uh, this last week just so happened to have us in the final chapters of Genesis, studying through the story of Joseph. I love that story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. I don't know what it is. I mean, I've read it so many times and I know what's going to happen. But even when I read it, I just feel like I'm, it's like a cliffhanger. I'm hanging on every single word. It's like a good movie that you just watch over and over and over again. I'm like, it's so captivating. It's so fascinating to me. And if you've never read that story, I really want to encourage you, go back and read through it slowly. Pop some popcorn, you know, just enjoy yourself as you read through it this week. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a Cliff Notes version of it today for the sake of this sermon. But it starts in Genesis 37, and we are introduced to a guy by the name of Joseph. He's 17 years old, uh, the youngest of Jacob's 11 sons at the time, and according to scripture, the favorite of Jacob's sons. Now, that might sound like a really inappropriate detail to include in the eternal scriptures, but the Bible is the source of all wisdom and truth. And parents, if you're honest, you like one of your kids more than some of the other children. And the Bible's not gonna lie about it. It's just gonna tell you, like, listen, he had 11 sons. There was one he liked a little bit more than the other guys, all right? He's just, it's just being real, okay? So, so it tells us about this favorite son who's 17 years old. And when he's a teenager, he has a couple of prophetic dreams that ultimately do come to pass. But the, the, the visual within these dreams is his brothers and his family all coming and bowing down before him. Now, because Joseph's a dumb teenager, he decides to tell his brothers and his family about this dream. And as you'd imagine, they didn't respond so well. They already don't like him because he's the favorite of their dad. And if any of you have younger siblings, you could imagine what it would be like if your younger sibling came up to you and said, I just want you to know you're going to bow down to me later on in life. That doesn't, no, absolutely not. It's not going to happen. And so in an act of jealous rage, these brothers decide to fake Joseph's death and then sell him off to some traders that are passing through on their way to Egypt. And, G and Joseph gets to Egypt. He ends up uh, being purchased by a guy named Potiphar. He's a slave now in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is the uh, captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And this is where the story gets a little bit scandalous. <laughs> so <laughs> the scriptures say that Joseph is a handsome man, a dark and good-looking individual. And as my pastor used to say, when the eternal canon of scripture records that you are attractive, you fine. <laughs> like, this is a hot dude, all right? Like, ladies, just picture, you know, whatever guy. <laughs> I'm not going to throw names out there, all right? You picture whoever you picture, it's that guy, all right? And 
His good looks are not lost on Potiphar's stay-at-home wife. She notices how attractive this young man is, and she begins to petition Joseph day after day after day. She says, come and sleep with me. Come and sleep with me. Now, I'm probably reading through the lines just a little bit here, between the lines a little bit here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that Potiphar's wife is not an unattractive woman. She, She is married to one of the most powerful men in Egypt, and we all know how power works. You could be an ugly dude, but land a dime if you're powerful, right? We, we've, we've all seen it, okay? I'm not pointing at anybody in church right now, but I'm just saying. <laughs> okay? So we also know how teenage boys are. No offense to our high schoolers. They have one thing on the mind all the time, all right? And so this is a bit of a recipe for disaster. You've got this beautiful, desperate housewife and this hormonal teenager, and she's petitioning him day after day after day. Guys, this is the biblical equivalent of days of our lives, all right? This is a telenovela playing out in scripture right now. Ay, mijo, ven acá, me quiero tú. This is what we're dealing with right now. I'm just here to spice up your Bible reading, all right? I wanna be one of those guys that records the Bible reading, you know, for you to listen to back in the audio Bible. (laughs) That would be a really bad idea. So, so she continues to petition Joseph day after day after day. But, but look at what Joseph does despite this beautiful woman asking him day after day to come to bed. It says in Genesis 39, verse 8, Joseph refused. Young men, Joseph refused. Look, he told her, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on him day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came up and she grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, Hey, papi, come and sleep with me. And Joseph <laughs> tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Now, the story will go on to display for us how the very words of Jesus in Matthew chapter five come to pass in Joseph's life thousands of years before these Beatitudes were ever written. He is lied about, as Jesus promised. Potiphar's wife tells her husband that Joseph came in to rape her and that's why she has his cloak. And as a result, he is mistreated, thrown in prison for a decade where he sits and he rots. But just like Jesus promised, Despite being rejected and mistreated, Joseph was blessed, even in the prison cell. That's a word for somebody today. You could be locked up in a prison cell between the promise of God and the fulfillment of God, but you can still be blessed in the middle of a dark situation. The Bible says that God is with him and he blesses him. And after a decade, not only is Joseph released from prison, but he rises to power, now second in charge of all of Egypt, the governor next to Pharaoh alone. And wouldn't you know it, those brothers who sold him into slavery find their way to Joseph, not even realizing it's him because they don't recognize him anymore, bowing down just as it was prophesied in the dream. A fascinating story. But for a couple of moments, what I would like to do is look not at ruler Joseph, but look at runner Joseph. Because at face value, this might appear to be nothing more than a story about the blessing that's associated with resisting temptation. But I think if we look a little bit closer, 
If we look at the details, we actually see a very vivid picture of what it means to be put to flight for your faith. Because when Joseph was faced with the decision to stay in the arms of sin, to be caught up in a moment and please his flesh, or to run the other direction, Joseph said, come what persecution may, if they lie about me, if they reject me, nothing matters more to me than the relationship that I have with the one that called me to this place in the first place. So I will not stay here. I will be put to flight for my convictions. And Joseph ran, leaving his cloak behind. Which brings us to that curious question posed then by our title. One that makes a little bit more sense now, doesn't it? If persecution can be defined as being put to flight for your faith, then I ask all of us today the confronting question, who's got your cloak? What I'm asking is, have you ever had to flee for some, from some things for your faith? What I'm asking is, are you captivated in the arms of something you should be running from or have you been willing to shed your cloak in haste, leaving some things behind so that you can chase after the king? Who's got your cloak? Because listen, you, you may not be a hormonal teenager. You might, but you may not be. <laughs> but rest assured, we've all got some cloaks. We've all got some things, some moments in our life where we have a decision to make. And if we are not careful, we will find ourselves clinging to some things that we should be running from if we're going to fully lay hold of this thing called the kingdom. Uh, allow me to illustrate. Um, this is uh, my, my morning robe. Um, I don't own a cloak, which should be encouraging to all of you. Um, I don't think I'm a warlock. I don't cosplay. Uh, I don't live action role play. If you're into that stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. All are welcome here at the Father's house, all right? I just don't get it. I'm not a fantasy guy. Like, I've never watched Lord of the Rings. Boo. Yeah, I know. I got it first service. I, I get it from our team all the time. I, I just, you know, I subscribe to a far more intellectual form of entertainment. Um, mindless action and superfluous explosions. That's kind of what I'm into. You know, that's, that's where I live. But uh, this is my morning robe. And, and I, I think, if I could provide a visual, that this is what the life of faith looks like. It looks like a day in Potiphar's house. You're going about your business just trying to serve God to the best of your ability. You're trying to read the word, trying to pray, trying to come to church instead of stay in bed, trying to do the things God's called you to do. You run the race that's set out before you and you're just, you know, head down, just trying to try your best to focus on the things of God. But meanwhile, there is this nagging voice called culture, called the ways of the world, called the pervasive nature of the environment you live in. And it just beckons you. Hey, come over here. Compromise. Just just, just take one look, just one night, just one moment, just one website, just one lie, just one bite of this forbidden fruit that you've been told not to touch. 
Just one. And, and, and it calls to you day after day after day. And, it, and at first it feels like it's easy to ignore it. You're like, okay, I'm new to faith. I love Jesus. This thing's all exciting and new. And, and so you just kind of ignore it and move about your business. But it's amazing how when that voice continues day after day after day after day, eventually you find yourself in a situation where it's like the world grips you. <laughs> Good, just like we practiced. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> filthy people. And, and, and in that moment, maybe it's a, an old addiction you suffered with, a sin pattern you've started to break free from, that phone call from somebody you haven't talked to in a minute, and now they're reaching back out. You have a decision to make. You have to choose, am I going to stay here, bundle up, and compromise? A am I going to lose everything that I've been working for with me in Jesus? Am I going to allow this moment of temporary satisfaction to rob me of the potential God has for my future? Or am I going to do like Joseph, am I going to shed that thing and run away in haste because I understand what I'm chasing after is far more valuable than the thing that's trying to hold me back. I would rather be lied about, mistreated, persecuted, whatever I gotta go through, than I would lose sight of the king and his kingdom. Who's got your robe? Yeah, let me belabor the illustration if I can't even further. Uh, when, when Robin and I were younger, before we were married, um, both of us had some really close friends of the opposite sex. Uh, she had a childhood friend that she grew up with, and um, they'd known each other since they were really young. And even after he moved away up north, uh, she would still stay in contact and go up and visit occasionally, see him and their family, stay the night up there, and, uh, and they, they were really good buds. Um, I had a, a friend of the opposite sex that I met after I kind of reawakened to my faith in my late teenage years, and she was a leader at the church, and she taught me a lot about prayer, and we'd spend a lot of time together praying, and we became really, really close. And, and to be honest, uh, neither Robin nor I had any romantic feelings towards either of these individuals. It was completely innocent. We, we were not attracted to them. Uh, later we found out they had other plans for the relationships. But for us, we, whether it was naivete or we were just so enamored with one another, we just, we didn't see it. Like we were not interested in having the, the romantic relationship with them. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget one night, um, Robin came to pick me up from this girl's house and uh, we'd been praying and I started to sweat last service when I shared this a little bit. I swear I was naive and didn't know better, but she had like turned all the lights down and lit a bunch of candles in the house and we were interceding, you know, for the nations and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and I was really just there to pray. I'm just being honest, heart, hand on heart, all right? <laughs> I swear. And, and Robin comes and picks me up and you know, she's candles flickering in the windows and she's like, what the? So I come out and I get in the car and like you immediately know when the person you love like hates you in that moment, right? You're like, you're like, hey, hi, how are you? Fine. Oh, okay, something's wrong. And shortly thereafter, we had the DTR, the define the relationship conversation, the come to Jesus moment. And Robin looked at me and she said in no uncertain terms, if we have a future together, if we are moving towards marriage, if that's where this thing is going, then you're gonna have to make a decision. 
It's either me or these friendships you have with other women, but you don't get to have both. If you're gonna be my husband, then you don't get to have friends of the opposite sex and you're gonna need to let this one go. To which I responded with all the maturity of a five-year-old, well, then you can't have your friend that's a boy either. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Equality. <laughs> but I remember we were sitting there and it was a cloak moment. A decision had to be made. Are, are we gonna stay here and cling to something that really doesn't mean that much in light of where we're headed? Or are we going to shed the proverbial cloak and run in the same direction with one another towards what God was calling us into? Which one did we want more? And 21 years later, I am very grateful that we both chose wisely and we're doing just fine. Thank you, Jesus. All right, all is good. We wouldn't be able to joke like this if things were not good, all right? Someone said to me last time, was like, do, do you guys like ever argue after church about the things you say about one another from the stage? I'm like, no, we, we know beforehand, like everything's good, I promise. There's, we, there's conversations had before I stand on the stage and say stuff. Just, I, I, okay, yeah. <laughs> right, we're good. Okay, okay. <laughs> Just making sure. Now, all analogies break down at some point, and this one breaks down pretty quickly. Uh, obviously, Robin and I did not leave friends for Jesus. We left friends for each other. We left them for love. And, and Robin is not Jesus. She sounds a lot like him most of the time, but she's not Jesus. And the repercussions of me losing a friendship with somebody are far inferior to that of someone who would lose friends and family and maybe even their life for following Jesus. So I'm not trying to compare the two, but I think you understand the analogy. If we are going to be kingdom people, if we are going to lay hold of what Jesus has for us, we will need to get comfortable with those cloak moments where we run in haste from the things that are trying to hold us back or hold us in sin and we run to Jesus. We've all got some cloaks. Maybe for you the cloak is an inappropriate or an ungodly relationship. Maybe it is dishonest gain. Maybe the cloak that you find yourself clinging to right now is the cloak of toxic friendships that always bring out the worst in you. And every time you're with those people, you end up doing things that you know you should not be doing. As I was praying even during worship, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, there are people here who are clinging to cloaks of broken mindsets and even diagnoses that have been spoken over them and they keep following back those neural pathways to the unhealthy versions of themselves instead of declaring what the word of God has to say about who they truly are in him. There's a million different cloaks that you could choose to cling to and I'm not gonna presume to name all of them out. The Holy Spirit is far better at that than I will ever be and I will let him speak to you today about what you need to let go of. My question is simple. What matters more to you, Jesus or that? Jesus or the temporary satisfaction of that moment? Jesus or the financial gain you will have as a result of your dishonesty? Jesus or the appeasing of your flesh? What matters most to you? Because listen to me very carefully. What's at stake here is not just your integrity or your reputation or some material blessings. If we are clear about what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, what's at stake is your relationship with him. Is that not what he's saying in this text right now? Blessed are you when you are put to flight for your faith because yours is the kingdom of heaven. 
I'm gonna be a broken record like I've been every single week. Let me remind you in week one what we established. The kingdom of God is not something, it is someone. It is the person of Jesus. And he is making it abundantly clear in this text. If you are willing to be put to flight for your faith, in return you get me. You get all of me for all of you. When you are willing to run from some things in this life, you inherit me in return. Which means the opposite of that is also true. A failure to flee is a forfeiture, not of your reputation, not just of your integrity, not just of some material blessings, but man, you could lose Jesus in the process. And I'm not here to make a theological statement about whether or not you can lose your salvation, but I am saying, if you want a pure, unbroken relationship with Christ, you're gonna need to learn how to run from some things. And I'll say this, I'm willing to lose a lot of things in this life, but I am not willing to lose my relationship with Christ. You can take my money, you can take my comforts, you can take my health, you can persecute and lie and spread all kinds of rumors about me. You can make a documentary about me. <laughs> There's no evidence for it, but you could. <laughs> but I will stand firm on the fact that my eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned his shame, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He was already persecuted so that he could be with me. Who am I to buy into temporary pleasures? What this world has to offer and forfeit him in the process? No, sir. I'm not interested in that. You can take this world, but give me Jesus. Or maybe better said, you can take the cloaks, but give me Jesus. Because I'm interested in hearing one thing. Blessed are you, Biddle. You didn't have to die for your faith, but you were willing to run from some things for your faith. And so great is your reward. The kingdom of heaven is yours. And I would imagine that's what all of us want to hear. No one wants to lose what is most precious for a temporary pleasure, which means that we're gonna have to get really, really good as followers in running from some stuff, fleeing what we need to flee so that we can be with Christ. But if that isn't motivation enough, <laughs> Jesus actually says, wait, there's more. He seems to suggest that in addition to the kingdom now, there is yet another blessing reserved for those who are willing to be put to flight for their faith. And in our final verse, as the worship team comes, let's look one last time at these words of Jesus in verse 11 and 12, where he says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because a great reward awaits you in heaven. Jesus is doing what I so love to do. And I know that I say this a lot, but it is my job as a pastor to say this a lot. He is reminding us that this life is not it. The Bible says that this life is but a breath of smoke. It passes by in an instant. I know it can feel like an eternity sometimes as we suffer on this side of heaven, but friends, eternity is far longer than what we're facing right now. He says, guys, there is an eternal reward at stake here. 
For those who are willing to be put to flight for their faith, something's waiting. Let me remind you today, there will be a moment where every single one of us stand eye to eye, face to face with Jesus. Bible calls it the judgment seat of Christ. And there we will stand and give an account for the days we lived on this planet. The things we did in our temporary lifetimes will have eternal consequence or eternal reward. And as Jesus flips through the pages of our lives, rest assured, he's gonna come to some of those cloak moments. The moments where you were gripped by something of this world, something temporary. And in that moment, he'll say, what did you do? Did you flee or did you forfeit? Did you cling to your cloak or did you run after the king? And for those who were willing to flee for the king and his kingdom, Jesus says there is an eternal reward. James chapter four says that reward is, is a crown. Philippians three calls it a prize that a runner would get at the end of a race. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that that reward is an eternal glory that eclipses all of our present sufferings. But Jesus sums that reward up in two words. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done for not staying in that toxic place, but for running. Well done for leaving behind the things that this world would say is valuable and chasing after the king. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. Man, if that's the reward that's awaiting me, I can go through anything. If I know that I'm gonna look my savior in the eyes and he's gonna say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll face whatever I have to face on this planet. And that is the perspective Jesus concludes this introduction with in the Beatitudes, a perspective that is not based on the temporary sufferings of this world, but a perspective that is based on the eternal nature of our future. Do you see it today? Are you willing to throw some things away, cast them aside, for that well done. I hope you are, because it's worth it. It's worth it. Amen? Let's pray. Spirit of God, thank you for speaking to us today. I, I ask right now that you'd be faithful to, to whisper to every heart, every mind, those cloaks that maybe need to be addressed this morning areas of life that are gripping us that we need to just run away from. I, I just, I feel like the Holy Spirit would say to somebody right now, you, you might feel like running away is a move of cowardice, but it's one of the bravest things you can do in that situation. I don't know what that means, but you do. Thank you, thank you for speaking to us today. Before we conclude, maybe there's be some in the room today who would say, hey, as we're talking about things we're clinging to, the thing I got in my grip is my life. I've been holding on to it, trying to run it, trying to do things on my own, and I'm suffering as a result. 
I, I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now that I need to hand my life over to Jesus. Maybe you're at a distance from him. Maybe you've been at a distance for a while, and, but you've tasted when you were younger what it was like to be in relationship with Christ. Wherever you're at on that continuum, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is in the room right now beckoning unto you, hey, come home, come home, come home. And in just a moment, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer of commitment to those who need to respond to that. But before I do, with every head bowed and eye closed, if, if that's you, you need to be included in this prayer. Would you just shoot up a hand and say, Tim, that's me. I'm, I'm coming to Jesus today. I need to give my life to him. Right on, bro, got you right here, thank you. Ma'am, I got you right there. Awesome. Yeah, I got you, thank you, cool. <laughs> yeah, right over here, awesome. Okay. I think I got y'all. If I didn't, I'm sorry. All right, here's the deal. We're gonna pray with these that are making this decision this morning out loud so they don't feel alone in it. So repeat after me. Everyone say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you and shed the cloak because you're all I want. Forgive me of my sins and help me to be your disciple. I want to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, come on, amen, 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 amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.